Hello listeners, welcome back to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Vry Kaiser. I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. I also freelance all over the web, so you can find the stuff I do on Twitter, at WriterVry, or you can find the other podcast I'm on, at TrashPod. And back with me again, I have Dee, Isaac, and Lizzie, if you all would like to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Isaac. Good to be back again for my second Anifem podcast. Um... As I said, as I said last time, a uh, former features writer and editor for Crunchyroll, um, I have a slightly defunct blog, majeinabarrel.com, and um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at iblessall, um, but you'll just have to send a request because I'm locked. That's where like people with all the good can- content hang out. <laughs> or so the, I mean, there was a drill tweet that said that, so I'm claiming that. Now go for it. My content is not actually good. Just <laughs> no, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's, I'm I like sure it. it's good. Oh, thank you. Okay, so as for me, uh, hi, my name is Lizzie. You might know me as that nerdy Bolivianet. Um, you can find all my stuff on my website, that nerdy Um I also have a Patreon that's on there if you want to support. You can follow me on Twitter at Lizzie Visitante. And I, my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Dee, the managing editor at Anime Feminist. Uh, you can find all my writings on my blog, The Josie Next Door, and you can also hang out with me on Twitter, at Josie Next Door. Heck yeah. Well, welcome back one and all to the second episode of our Evangelion Watch Along. This time we covered episodes 7 through 13, or the show pretends to be a Monster of the Week anime for a little bit. It does. I kind of liked that. I was just going to say, it's it's a nice change of pace because it gives you a chance to get to know the supporting cast uh, really well, which I appreciate um, since the first six episodes are very much from Shinji's perspective. Yeah, it's nice. It, it expands the world out a little bit, which I think is something that successive adaptations and spinoffs have sort of missed out on. And this is also notably the point at which, allegedly in production, they just completely threw out the original plan for what the show was, because it had been drifting away from the original concepts, which was, you know, a toy-based mecha series. And after episode 12, it, it just went in a completely different direction. And the finance troubles were always. So were the... Were the... This, this kind of Monster of the Week episodic, was that sort of them killing time until they figured out what they wanted to do because it doesn't feel that way it feels like you know it's an intentional like way to introduce you to these other characters before we get into the second core there's not a lot of i mean god there's 80 million primary sources about evangelion many of them contradictory but this is this is me speculating all i know is for sure is that that this was kind of the halfway point was the hard point where it completely departed but i get the feeling that that it was sort of a, well, we're still doing the monster of the week thing, but more and more of this psychological and character drama is kind of working its way in and beginning to take precedence. So I think at that point, it just superseded what they were going to do before and it it kind of stopped working. You know, you can see it in a lot of 90s animes, unless they were super long, like DBZ just had one you know, opening and ending all the way through. And I don't know if you've noticed how comically unfitting the opening of this show is for the rest of it. For one of my impressions about the first, this new, this new batch of episodes was there wasn't as much despair as I was expecting. 
and I feel like the opening I like I, as of now I still like Shinji but I feel like the opening is so undeserving of, <laughs> of like of him I'm like I don't feel like you're a destiny of anything but I don't know that we're quite there yet but the ironizing of the title of, of the opening lyrics is just gonna get stronger so look forward to that <laughs> yeah uh so i guess that brings to how are you uh how are you two feeling about this new batch of episodes like d said we expanded a lot of the supporting cast and we introduced the last two really major players uh asuka and her guardian ryoji kaji now that you've met my terrible daughter she's good he's bad would be my but but i guess yeah to go back to something we were just talking about um the especially the episodic format and i know i think you guys said last time like this uh, this batch of episodes was going to be much lighter than the first six and um d until you had said this was more from more from other people's perspectives rather than shinji that makes a lot of sense as to why that's the case um, cause we're not as much in his headspace, but I remember last time we also talked a little bit about like, um, kind of the genres that Ava is pulling from and is using. And the monster of the week is a very, um, I guess it's not particular to giant robot series, but you know, there's a, sort of a fami- comfortable familiarity in the kind of like, we're going to have like a, a monster show up. We're going to deal with that problem. And then like that's kind of a self-contained thing. And then we move on. So I I, I kind of enjoy just the familiar kind of rhythm to that. Because I've seen a lot of shows that have that. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of nice. And they certainly are lighter and kind of more on the, more on the fun side. Um, but it also makes, it also sort of makes you wonder like, if we had gotten all those episodes from Shinji, Shinji's perspective, like we did in the first six episodes, like would those still come, you know, would all those events still come off as kind of fun and free as they are, or would they have a different sort of feel to them? I wonder if they don't speak to Shinji's own perspective a little bit, just in that he does seem more comfortable and at home with everyone in this stretch. I mean, he's, you know, he'll, he'll, he kind of will snap back at Asuka. Um, she gets under his skin and, um, his like relationship with Misato at home feels a little bit more relaxed than the sort of stiff formality they had in the early going. Um, so I wonder if the tone isn't also him kind of getting used to this pattern and this weird dysfunctional family he's kind of create they've kind of created for themselves yeah i mean in these new batch of episodes i found he was much more i mean i think he smiled he smiled a little bit more but he was much more receptive of hanging out with different people but he's also very self-aware that he's not very he's still not very comfortable in this surrounding i like like i know when they had that that dinner party to celebrate misato's like promotion like you know he he voiced that to misato and like I mean, he's comfortable, but he's still not used to being around such a rowdy bunch, and he doesn't know how to have fun or how to engage. So he's still, he's still like, in very much introverted and keeps to himself. But he's trying; he's making that effort. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a very realistic progression. It's not like all of a sudden Shinji is this bright and perky and uh, extroverted person. So. Yeah, that party scene is so relatable to me. I, like, yeah. I can't. Um, <laughs> just that, all right, I've learned to sort of open up in groups of one and two. You want me to be in a room with how many people and make conversation? I'm sorry. 
Yeah, but the nice thing there is he kind of deals with it like, and man, how many times have I been in a party and done with that where he like turns to the person who's sitting next to him and engages, in this case, it's Misato, in like a one-on-one conversation. I was like, oh, I've done that before. You know, there's a big group of people. I'm like, well, I'll just talk to this one person who's nearby and that'll be nice. And he, you know, seems much more comfortable in that kind of um setting as the you know we have that kind of shot of the other the others who are there kind of all bickering together but i think lizzie you made a good point in that he you know it's not like it's been a a big switch he's kind of still uncomfortable in these things and it's almost kind of ironic because it seems almost like he's most comfortable when he's at nerve and doing stuff with the avas which is a big contrast from the early episodes but I wonder, you know, just if that's so much more familiar to him now and because it's more regimented and it's like, okay, you're going to get in the robot, you're going to fight the angels. Um, and he's like kind of knows what he's supposed to do there versus, you know, when it's people, they're unpredictable and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So that was something that I thought was interesting. Yeah, and it, it comes out in, I think, new ways, particularly because he has Oscar to play off now who I always talk about them as characters who have essentially the same foundational trauma uh, and responded to it in exactly opposite ways where he is this very soft and introverted character, uh, very sh- uh, very afraid of conflict. And Oscar is somebody who, you know, is, is extremely out there and uh, sort of preening and narcissistic in her presentation, but they both come down to, I don't know who I am if I can't, if I don't have this role that's been foisted on me. Yeah. And they're both very much, um, you know, when they kind of talk about like, what's our reason for piloting the Avas, uh, they frame it differently, but it does sort of come down to, I want other people to tell me I'm doing a good job. Basically, like, I would like other people to acknowledge me. Um, and yeah, Asuka frames it in more the sense of like, I want to be famous and I want the world to know how awesome I am. Uh, whereas Shinji's just like, I'd kind of like it if my dad told me good job sometimes. Which is <laughs> so sad. That's uh, so, that so sad. sad. Yeah. But I like that he is actually questioning, like, okay, why are we actually doing this? What are the angels? Like, aren't angels supposed to be like these mythical things, not that scary? That's, I was like, yeah, because I, when I was starting episode seven, I was like, yeah, what are these things? What is happening here? And like, I, I like that at least he's kind of questioning what is happening around him because he was just thrown into it. Like, you know, meanwhile, Asuka, you know, she has been training for a really long time and and hasn't really questioned it as much as Shinji is doing at the moment. She just follows orders. Yeah, I was curious to see. I actually wanted to ask you last time as well, but this seems a better time now that we've had sort of at least a semi-official, fl- like, meaty flashback. Uh, what you two are picking up about sort of the world building of what's going on and w- what the state of this world is now. Uh, so, for example, it's never officially stated, but because of the poles in Antarctica freezing after Second Impact, it's summer all the time in Japan now. It is constantly, like, 90 degrees. I felt it was really ironic considering the state of the world now, <laughs> you know, like the ice glaciers are melting. Yeah. The Amazon's is the Amazon is currently on fire. So I was like, yep, it's like, I don't, I felt like 
I don't I I would have to question at least in this show like what caused the second impact you know like was it something like outside of our human understanding or was it like a human-based cause right so like I find like they drop a lot of things about what is happening in the background but they never really explain okay this is how this happened I mean I think they're even trying to find answers themselves Well, I'm curious because I think it's a thing a lot of people miss if they don't have people there explicitly calling attention to it because a lot of it does happen in the background. You know, there's the first hints of a very important conspiracy, but the only reason you know about, you know, you might pick up, isn't it kind of suspicious that this weapons test went real bad all of a sudden for no particular reason and then just happened to work out fine? And the only kind of clue you have that that there's something fishy about it confirmed is Masato nodding toward it at the end of the episode. So I think a lot of younger viewers miss some of this uh, very, very subtle kind of buildup, which is very much backgrounded compared to the character work. Yeah, there's clearly a lot that was put into the history, um, but because and what's going on and like there's there's this sense throughout like something really shady is going on. just behind the scenes that um, our, you know, our teen protagonists don't know anything about. But because it is filtered through their perspectives, um, it ends up just being kind of these little dropped nuggets that you can kind of pick up as you go, or you can just sort of let the plot roll over you as it happens. Um, I'm more interested in the character work in the show than than the overarching conspiracy stuff by a wide mile. Yeah, I think world building wise, the like only thing that really stood out to me is I think it's it's the episode where they have the like um, angel that drips the like gooey stuff down the down the well, and they have to all like work as a team to figure it out. At the very beginning of that, there's like they're like picking up their laundry, some of the staffers, and then they meet the I think the deputy commander on the train, and he's reading a newspaper. And that just like kind of caught me. The fact that he was reading a newspaper caught me off guard. And I was like, oh, like, I guess they have like newspapers even in the midst of everything that's going on. And I don't know, to me, that was just really evocative of like kind of a, a bigger world beyond. Because, you know, like that dude is like in the like a vice, the deputy commander of an organization that's facing these unknown beings that could potentially end the world and he's reading a newspaper <laughs> and so i'm like there are other things in the world that he's interested in like reading about right now so like you know it just i was i just really caught my attention because of that and i guess i had sort of thought like i don't know i got more of the impression that the city there and tokyo 3 i think is the name of it is was like more of like a last bastion of humanity but it's more i guess there's like people out in other places in the world who are kind of like living their lives and and doing stuff and doing things that are worth putting in a newspaper so yeah that was that was the world building detail that stuck out most to me I know it's kind of a weird minute thing but no I I think it's a a good note uh you know watching through this time it reminded me a lot of other uh, World War II based works uh, of anime and manga where you have just these devastating horrors and like you might be evacuated and your house might be gone now because of giant bot like holy crap the bombing episode is some potent imagery um but there's also just this sense of forced normalcy because like 
what else you gonna do? <laughs> also funny considering the state yeah. of the world today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I have to question like are they the only three Ava pilots? Because I'm like aren't there shouldn't there be more i mean if the world still exists outside of uh japan in this uh in this series i'm like okay why do they just i would think they would have way more than just three because why are the angels just showing up in this particular location aren't they gonna show up i don't know in germany france whatever yeah it seems like the angels are specifically targeting the avas um, and I'm not, and I, I know I've, I've seen the show before and I, that's not a, that might, if that's a spoiler, I don't mean for it to be because I don't remember if any of this is explained later in the show. Um, but that's the sense I got, like, cause when they're bringing Asuka's like, you know, new model over from, were they in Germany? Yeah, she's from, she yeah, was from in Germany. Germany. Yeah. Um, when they're bringing it over, like, that's when the angel attacks is when the, you know, when they've got the Ava with them. And then once they're back in Tokyo three, the angels continue to just attack Tokyo three. So it's maybe they're maybe it's like a homing beacon almost for them. Uh, it's it's not super clear. Also, they started attacking again just as these units start getting built. That's weird. Um, yeah, super weird. Which kind of makes you wonder if they're intentionally trying to call down the angels via the Evangelions. Um, and again, I seriously, folks at home, if I'm accidentally spoiling things, I am sorry. I'm not doing it on purpose. I don't know if that's actually how it turns out or not. I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm just loving this. It's really fun for me. But you're right about dropping little hints because I think Kaji is a spy. Like they just dropped that. <laughs> it's just like he's always in weird, like secluded areas with random people. Like in one in one scene, he was with a lady and a dog. <laughs> that was. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, you're a spy now. Like, all right then. When he's not busy being the worst, he's a spy. God, Kaji sucks. I don't know. I, I hate Kaji so much. I remember liking him, and now I, I have no earthly clue why I liked him. He's charismatic, him. I'll give him that. But beyond that, I'm like, don't get near me. Uh-huh. I, he's a serial yeah, harasser. Uh, like, basically, um, he's he's yeah. awful to Misato. That, God, that fucking line when he's like, what should I believe, your words or your lips? I'm like, her words, asshole! <laughs> like, it's so bad. Yeah, I feel like... I, I feel like... I, I also liked Kaji more when, when I was younger, and then you, you get to be closer to Misato's age, and you're like, stop! Make this man stop. They're 29 and 30, by the way. Because um, they were... The the implication is that uh, he and Ritsuko and Masato were about Shinji's age when Second Impact occurred. Yeah, I did... They did kind of drop that that little hint in when he said, we didn't get to go on a school trip because Second oh, Impact occurred. Damn, that's so um, sad. It was bad. So, yeah. Yeah, which... Boy, um... So I, I mentioned in the first episode when I was doing intros is that because this series is so personal to Anno, in some ways, it's very messy and uh, first drafty about its themes. Hey, this series is really scared of women's sexuality. <laughs> it's it, it has under it understands that women have thoughts and have independent motives that are separate from their interests in in men or love interests but it doesn't know what those are so it's decided that they're just mysterious and unknowable uh, yeah like there's a lot here to talk about in regards to that i mean i don't know like in regards to asuka like what really stood out for me personally was um like i feel like maybe this is not talked enough but it's mostly 
because we always we always talk about patriarchy and how you know like people keep like replicating the patriarchy etc and asuka just reminded me of a lot of people i knew growing up in regards to you hi- you kind of have to perform hyper masculinity in order to survive the world that's not always exactly fair to women non-binary folks etc right because she's always like putting down shinji it's like aren't you a man like why can't you speak up like she's always like berating him for being quiet and everything like that so i was just like wow like i don't get to see this kind of example often in most of the things that i watch right but she was just she just reminded me so much of the people i grew up with even my own mother but that's besides the point but but yeah so i don't know that i think that's something that I, that I took away from these episodes like that's not often talked about how like moms like aunties etc even some of our friends can per- like perpetuate that like toxic masculinity yeah there's um there's a really good article on vice that was sort of wrapped around uh casey mongillo's uh casting i can't remember if i mentioned it last time but uh where this uh trans woman talked about how she really vibed with uh Shinji's experiences of being this very soft feminine presence who's constantly told to you know be a man and I know that Shinji has given me the gender feels for forever and I've never been able to quite put my finger on what it is about him so much as he's just like this this very soft anxious androgynous figure who is just terrified of all of the social roles being put on him yeah and it's um it ends up being, whether intentionally or not, a pretty good example of kind of like internalized um, gender norm expectations from Asuka, because it's not like Asuka is, you know, this perfect representation of traditional femininity. So, you know, she demands, she demands, like, be a man from Shinji constantly, but Asuka's outspoken and um, I would say deeply insecure, but puts on an aura of, you know, confidence and excitement about the missions and is kind of like your gung-ho shonen hero in, in those aspects um, and is, you know, very aggressive. Um, so even while she's sort of demanding that Shinji adhere to these, um, this like hyper-masculine role, like you were saying, uh, Lizzie, um, she herself is not, by no means beholden to this. Um, and that's, to me, that's a very teenage thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's another one of those genre things, right? Because it was really popular for uh, really douche bro fans to be like, oh well, we'll just we'll just gender swap the the children in the cast, and I'll be like, well, then you've just put them back in their expected gendered role boxes. You've done nothing. You've solved nothing. You did the most boring thing possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what comes what becomes of her later on because i did sense a hint of vulnerability there like later on when she had a conversation with misato at the um, at the the hot springs i was like okay there's more to come yeah asuka asuka is a character of many depths um i i am very fond of the ramen scene where she she puts out all this bluster earlier on about how she's going to pick a really expensive restaurant and Ray has to be there because she's, you know, still being this this kind of awful alpha character who really feels threatened by Ray's position and then she she picks a ramen shop so everybody can go together and I, I love I know, my that was daughter. So considerate. I was like, "Oh, you know she's not making a lot of money." <laughs> it's like, let's all get this delicious food together. All all of the kids, I don't know. I I I feel like there's a lot to 
Rey and even some of the, the other secondary kids as we get further into the series, but Shinji and Asuka are just extraordinarily well-rounded and developed, I feel like, more above and beyond the rest of the cast in terms of these very human teenage foibles where they're they're both, you know, very vulnerable and they're kind of awful because they're 14, like we discussed with Shinji last time, and but also they're just sweet and you can see how in a world where everything wasn't on fire, they might turn out okay. Yeah, and one thing I do like about Asuka is I feel like she pulls out of Shinji a lot like you know she's always she's always demanded from him to be a man but i feel like she draws out just a lot of maybe his more natural personality just in the way that she interacts with him because i know it seems like the only time that he really like shrivels up is when she you know criticizes him on that kind of gender role basis and a lot of the other like kind of pettiness that she has actually seems to drag out like Shinji's own pettiness in turn which is like I don't know it's a dynamic that I really enjoy because I like her seeing her like saying something just like kind of kind of pointless and childish and then Shinji comes back at her I'm like oh they're just like you know fighting like two kids and um I you know and maybe that's just kind of the effect of feeling something normal in all of this but I really enjoyed that about about her. And you also have her relationship with Kaji which is very much a foil to Shinji and Masato's relationship in some upsetting ways. To Kaji's credit so far he's not he's not biting the the hook that uh, Asuka keeps trying to get him to bite. He's kind of just treats her like just a kid. Yeah. Um, like when they go out shopping and they do the she's like i'm gonna get i'm gonna get me a a bikini and he's like "Uh, is that appropriate for your age i don't i don't know but i'm not like interested in this if that's what you're going for so um that's like the one decent halfway decent thing about kaji at this point is he does not appear to be a sexual predator hooray Um, the bar is so low the bar is so low (laughs) so low low. shinji does not have does not seem to have any um halfway decent male role models in his life at all he really does yeah like i i feel like the show keeps coming back to that is it it knows like masculinity is crap and all of its male adult figures are just kind of the worst or you know they don't interact with our protagonist at all like the bridge crew but also there's so much talk about like what women are like and you know i i feel like the show at times kind of believes Kaji's line of bullshit about, you know, the whole what your lips are saying versus what your words are saying. Like, and it's, it's just, I don't know, I feel it. I, I really feel it, I think, with Misato and Ritsuko's friendship because there's something so good and, like, rock solid there under their bickering. And then you get these hints of, like, Ritsuko's resentment of her mother and this whole who she was as a woman like what does that mean yeah I I actually (laughs) yeah um I mean I really liked what this to me the I don't know um I I liked the way these episodes took some time to give us more insight into why Misato and Ritsuko are there and what their backstories are and um very much you know falls in line with the themes we see with Shinji and his complicated relationship with his with his father because um, they both have very complicated relationships with the, you know, uh, the previous generation as well. Um, 
And so I I enjoyed that. I to me they don't. I know you said you you felt like the show is aware that women have personalities, but and like relationships beyond, but doesn't know like what those are. Um, I'm not sure I would agree with that. I don't think it's I don't think it's perfect, but they don't feel to me like mysterious unknown others. Um, they feel to me like character like rounded characters with. Um, as many uncertainties and conflicts as the guys do. Um, I feel like I have a very good grasp on like Misato and Ritsuko at this point. That's fair. Maybe I'm uh, judging from some later stuff. Yeah, no. That's possible. Now I really love their interaction for Misato and Ritsuko, like when they go drinking together or just are sitting around for coffee. Like you get the most out of like their relationship in those moments. You learn, they learn, they know what, you know they know how to talk shit to each other and they know how to like when each other when each other is down they know what to say to kind of help them to get back up again so yeah their relationship feels very natural to me in a way that i think a lot of anime struggle especially with like older women characters and i say older i mean they're in their 20s but you know what i mean not teenagers um um just because you know they don't it's not like they're just it's not like they, they, it passes the Bechtel test, you know, um, which I know is a low bar, but like they talk about a lot of different things. They talk about their past. They, you know, razz each other. They respect each other's work. Um, I think there's, I think there's a, and we don't see that many scenes of them together, but everyone we do is a little bit different um, while still having that kind of, like you said, that kind of rock solid foundation of familiarity underneath all of their interactions. Yeah, and I, and I, just to add to that, like, you know, and it, and the show is kind of conscious that they really have to try hard to prove themselves in this organization. Like I remember, I think it was in episode seven when they had to go to this conference and and Litsko was like trying, to, was questioning like um, the moderator or something like that. And whew, that was that was brutal to watch where all all these men were saying, oh, you're just hysterical question, like questioning everything I'm saying and everything like that. And whew, Litsko, like she she held it back really well like you know while going up there to punch to punch him in the face i was like you know you know <laughs> yeah but i good. and to some extent i i do appreciate that the show is aware that these two women are smart they're hella capable but they still they still unfortunately have to like always have to prove themselves in a the room full of men you know yeah and i, I it's really nice and interesting how that episode the uh, where they go to the conference and the episode with the Magi are sort of reverses of each other in, in terms of how Ritsuko and Masato play back up to each other, mm-hmm. where one is kind of like taking the lead and the other one just kind of has their back at a crucial moment. And I really like that. I do think that seems maybe a little generous towards Ritsuko, at least in the at least in the disaster episode, because it seems like she's kind of in on the in on the trick and does and is aware that nothing was going to happen from the start, um, and obviously Misato isn't. So, uh, yeah, you can't. I guess you can't blame her too much for that. But yeah, they're not not perfect. Not perfect flips. Um, but yeah, as far as their relationship goes, in the thirteenth episode that we just saw here at the end, there's that moment when uh, Misato comes in and she like grabs Mitsuko's coffee. And Misa goes, hey, the coffee is the coffee is cold. Like that is such a solid, just like incidental piece of relationship building. So, yeah, I think I agree. With, I think I agree with D that at least to me, the the female characters, except for 
except for Ray, maybe don't come out to me seeming pretty like solid. And even I know we were talking about like the way this show deals with their sexuality. It seems like that comes mostly into play with Asuka, but even her hat, she has like the swimsuit episode again with the school trip and she like has that interaction with Shinji at the swimming pool where she's like kind of trying to get him to react and he doesn't and then she's like well you're boring <laughs> like it, it, and but then at the same times you know whenever there you know there's like all these moments where I she had that great line uh, in her introduction episode where she's like why are guys so stupid and horny <laughs> um <laughs> which i laughed at um but it seems you know there's there's sort of again kind of a kernel of truth in that and that you know she's kind of mimicking this idea of what she thinks you know she's supposed to do with her body and her sexuality but when it comes down to it she's really not you know comfortable comfortable with that at all and even like her complaints in the last episode where they have to get naked to and go in the go in the plugs Aquarian Eval style. <laughs> yeah, I think Ava is a show that is very one one thing it, it does well is it never loses sight of the fact that the characters are children. Just in those moments, like you said, like Asuka will have these moments of where she's kind of trying to like maybe tease Shinji a little bit about like, oh look at my boobs or like, you know, she puts on she wants to wear like a slightly risque bathing suit for for uh, a fourteen year old, which it's not, but okay, anime. Um it's a it's a it's a super cute little bikini, but anyway, um, but then at the same time she's also you know very I think insecure and uncertain, and they use nudity um, as kind of a shorthand for vulnerability a lot. Which Ryan, didn't you write an article about that? I did. It was uh, good, <laughs> if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, nice. Um, yeah, that people seem to find it a lot. Yeah, I like. I am sincerely glad to hear that from all of you, because like, I feel like maybe what my opinion is coming from is colored by some of the episodes at the very end of the series. So it's very nice to hear from all of you that just coming forward with a completely open perspective, it's, it really sells their best points as characters. And yeah, I think this series really does, uh, up to this point, have a great grasp on sort of dividing when it's in horny vision and, and Shinji is just having rampant teenage emotions staring down somebody's shirt, which is always staring down somebody's shirt, um, and then just other moments of nudity when it wants us to look at the characters as as vulnerable and afraid and in these very stark senses. Yeah, well, and in, in this stretch too, even um, something I kind of noticed was with the way they frame the characters when we're in Shinji's perspective you know there's especially those scenes with Asuka god those are horny scenes um where just like you know constantly it, horny in like an uncomfortable way like like that sense of like oh don't look there why are you looking there stop it kind of sense um which is probably and what's going through Shinji's don't kiss, head don't kiss her while she's sleeping what is wrong with you <laughs> please do not yeah, I do love I, I do love that moment where like he he's all gearing up to kiss her when he think when he thinks that she is like this sort of mis he buys into her you know I'm totally grown up and mature facade and then he pulls away when he realizes that she's she's scared and she's lost like he is and has that humanizing moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He sees a woman as a person and realizes that that would be a bad thing to do. Uh, yeah, but I was just gonna just to finish up that thought the camera frames like when you but then you'll cut to scenes of you know like Misato and Ritsuko just like hanging out at a bar and talking and the the framing of the characters and their bodies and like you know focusing on their faces or their hand gestures or what have you 
um, it's completely different. And so there's definitely an understanding in Ava that I think so many shows do not have of directing the camera in a way to to create a tone or to let you know the perspective that the character is coming that that the the scene is supposedly coming from um so like it doesn't feel like fan service it feels like it's there for a reason you know what i mean yeah yeah i think that's yeah i think that's true to to mostly a degree but then there's also stuff where it feels like it's kind of having its cake and eating its too it's you're like okay did you really need to put the scar right between her boobs you didn't have to make that choice but you did and so it's you know it's so yeah so i think i agree with you like in most cases d and with the exception with an odd kind of like sneaky fan service type shot there things like that but you know it's, it's certainly better than a lot of things yeah and i i agree with you there too i think it to me it kind of reminds me of uh, flip flappers where for the most part it knows what it's doing and then sometimes it just like missteps either by accident or because someone on staff just got a little too overzealous I do not know um and kind of veers into that that territory of being you know unnecessary um but overall it's much better than a lot of other series and I just realized they they don't do the next episode previews on the Netflix version do they they don't oh that makes me sad just just so you guys know um in the next episode previews I think it's every single one in the early going Misato promises the audience lots of fan service next week um and there never is Um, well there gets to be a pattern in the late episodes too where the episodes where she doesn't promise fan service are the ones that are have a lot more nudity in them good to know oh my god yeah Although so, I will remind everyone, fan service doesn't always mean nudity. It can also mean good giant robot action, and sometimes that is true. Some of these episodes, there is some good ro- giant robot ac- action. I, in some of that's them. true. It doesn't get a, as much praise, but like this show is really good at being a monster of the week episode. Like the angel designs are really interesting and innovative. They provide interesting conflicts that aren't that are you know distinct from one another. They say something about the theme of the episode. You learn things about the characters or the world. Like it's none of these feel like they're just there to take up space. Um, they feel like they're there to expand our understanding of what's going on, either with, you know, getting a better feel for who Asuka is or Ritsko or, you know, what's going on at Nerve because they, they drop little nuggets in like every episode. Yeah, so. No, I was just going to, no, I was just going to say the angels are really unique. There's like one looks like a dish with an eye falling from the sky. Then there's one that's like an embryo in the lava. I'm like, what are you? <laughs> you know, it's like. I have so many questions as to what these angels are. They had a lot of great designers working on them. Uh, off the top, I can never remember all of them. Like, several different artists contributed. One of them was the uh, future director of Escaflone, for example. Ooh, mm-hmm. no wonder. I felt It felt familiar to me with Escaflone. I was like, oh, maybe I'm stretching it. But, oh, yay, I was right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You could, the, like, the Ava production list is really a who's who of people who went on to work on other stuff um like half of the team went over to utana afterwards <laughs> they course. did i remember that yeah oh yeah there uh, do you guys there is oh i can't remember what episode it is i probably i think i put a note on but there's what there's one shot that really reminded me of that where they're like going up the elevator and talking yes, together the silhouettes. and yes. then it, you got the silhouettes over the fence with the avos on the other side i was like oh seen that trick before yeah, that shot happened, and I was like, oh, they're going to go smash the world shell. <laughs> go Stuko. Oh. I mean, Anu and Ikuhara are friends, so. Oh, okay. Makes and sense. Ikuhara is allegedly the uh, 
the ba- the loose basis for Kaoru as a character. So that's a fun nugget for the future. Ooh, okay. <laughs> oh, which does remind me, this is neither here nor there. It's a spoiler, but not a consequential one because it's just kind of revealed offhand in the movie. Uh, Maya, the the young woman who works on the bridge crew, she has a crush on Ritzko. Oh, good for her. Okay. I ship good it. Good for her. <sighs> I ship it. I ship it. <laughs> It, it it literally never comes to anything in the series. It's basically a background detail, but I like to remember it. <laughs> I, you know what? It's really important. I love it. Hey, if she hadn't pressed that button, they would have had problems <laughs> with the computers. So I think everything would have exploded. So good on you, Maya. Oh, no. That's another thing. Like the angels can also become like nanotechnology. That's why I'm like, what are you? You know? Yeah. The angels appear to be evolving at a terrifying rate to break into this base. Um that seems to be their only goal, and every episode they find a new way to do it. Like, oh well, we'll sneak in through the we'll sneak in through the open the entryway hatch and just drizzle acid on them as they come up. Oh, we'll just blow the entire thing up with the giant um with the giant explosion, um and and then they finally got into the cyber terrorism. <laughs> so, what a good episode translation that one is like referencing Lilliputian stuff like. I love, I love the the translated episode titles. You can just They're imagine so like good. these tiny little like creepy angel things just like poking around in the wires. There's a bunch <laughs> of them. It does remind me I'm cashing in my Vry gets one opportunity per episode to complain about the new translation card. Ah, yes. Oh sure, um, go for it. Important. <laughs> go for it. Um, it's important. I, I was kind of having trouble last time putting my finger on how the new translation feels different from the old one, but. The Asuka's introduction scene, the, the the dumb little flashing joke, is one that I remember really clearly. So I went back and I, I copied out uh, the, the tra- differences between the old dub and the new one. You know, where there's the dumb interact, uh, the, the exchange between her and Toji and her, the wind blows her skirt up and shenanigans. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and the, the old ADV dub has this line of like, you know, she slaps them both. They're like, what is that for? And she's like, well, that's the viewing fee. Quite a bargain, nicht. And uh, Toji comes back with, it's overpriced, but that's all right. Here's your change. And he pulls down his pants. And the new <laughs> the new dub is, um, you know, what was that for? Your price for the treat. I think you got a great deal. And he comes back with, oh, really? That's nothing. I'll show you a treat. And I'm like, they're both. Yeah, the, there's a lot of some of the like little bits of humor and turns of phrase that the the lines have stuck with me in a way that surprises me, given that I don't really remember anything that happens in the second half of the show. Um, but yeah, I, it, it was even one of those things where I was like, this line sounds kind of jankety, and I remember this being a pretty neat line in the original, so um, it's just, yeah, it's it's stiff. Um, and I think, the, I think the humorous moments in particular uh, don't translate as well. Uh, over in this new version because they don't I think I think a lot of the time with humor you have to be a little bit more free and easy with the translation to convey like the tone um and if you don't then it's then then there's not a there's no there's no joke it doesn't really land so also I miss Asuka calling Shinji didn't she call him Dunkoff like all the time in the original she had so much random German in her dialogue yeah it was delightful and I miss it 
Yeah, oh. it was fun. She does say in the in the Japanese, which I think I, I mentioned that's the one I'm watching, she does say at the beginning of episode nine, she gives Shinji a really excitable Guten Morgen, but she yeah. pronounces it like Guten Morgen, and it just, that, that really made me laugh. That was more like the voice delivery than the line itself. <laughs> that's, that's adorable. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things like, God, this is so pretentious, but it's like, I liken the two translations to the difference between like a King James Bible and a new international version. Like there are sometimes with the techno gobbledygook where I think the new translation is a lot more efficient and easy to understand. But when it comes to character stuff, which I think as we've discussed on this episode is the heart and soul of what Ava is, it doesn't come across as well. I was watching uh, the last two episodes with my wife this morning because I wait till the last minute to do things. And and uh, she brought up that there's just this, because she majored in rhetoric, um, she brought up that there's this qualitative difference between the, it, the very famous original translation of Shinji's line as I mustn't run away versus the new one, which is don't run away. Whereas like the former is this, pressure from outside forces that he knows he shouldn't do this thing he knows he's compelled to do this thing even though he doesn't want to whereas the new line is like him telling himself and like those are so very different and one feels a lot more true to what his character is going through and i love linguistics i don't think he says niganide which would be don't run away i think he i think the i think the tense at the end is more more in line with like um the, the tense that you would use to mean like must not do something. So I think that, I think so, but again, I'm not, I have to, if I'm not like focused, I won't necessarily catch all that when I'm watching. If Google, um, so. if Google is to be believed, it's watashi wa nigete wa ikimasen. Yeah, so I mustn't run away is, is that's, yeah, that's what he's saying. Um, no, I've, I, I noticed that too. I was like, this is a very different uh, syntax. Then and it it does not quite convey. Like I think there was this idea that the new dub is more literal, but there are there have been multiple moments where I'm like, you took a translation route here that actually isn't conveying quite the same thing as the original. So I'm not sure that's a I'm not sure that's a fair read on it. Um, it's just a different translation. I don't think it's it's necessarily a more literal one, start to finish. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just trying to think back, you know, to my perspective on that as someone who hasn't doesn't have any familiarity, like just trying to remember like what my reaction to that that line that line is. And I don't know. I think I don't know. This this is just my perspective and again I'm coming from this coming from this fresh, but to me at least when he says don't run away to himself the surrounding context of the situation plus you know the visuals um you know the like close-ups on his face and whatnot um at least to me i'm thinking that my reactions were that you know he's feeling kind of an outside an outside pressure rather than kind of an internal motivation but maybe it's both I don't know. I mean, this I'm is glad I'm just that the, the basic through. feeling is still coming across. Yeah, I yeah I think yeah I think that's what I'm trying to what I'm really getting at is that I think for me at least I get the I I understand at least the emotion there even if the translation itself isn't as particular to a specific because I I don't know I at the same time you know I I will say like well if you're in that situation do people say I mustn't run away I mustn't run away to themselves or do they say don't run away don't run away um and then in terms of but anyways that's kind of neither here nor there it's just sort of 
theory. On the other hand, the times at which people in Evangelion talk like normal meat humans is very hit or miss. I was going to say, Shinji saying, the way Shinji says that to himself is, um, in the original Japanese, is a little odd, too, so... Mm. Um, Anyway, we went. Yeah. We went. Sorry about that. That was a bit of a tangent there. Um, we did. We did. I, I cast my card and completely derailed the podcast. <laughs> some hashtag quality. There's some quality hashtag content in there. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I guess that does bring me around to asking. You know, this is. I feel like there's no wrangling. We can't do it like we would do another watch long where we just say, "And what do you think will be going on next week?" Because, you know, it's sort of infamous that. The back half of the series sure is a trip, but I get because is it? Because I was expecting despair in this batch, but I'm like, where's my despair? So <laughs> I'll I'll, t- I'll take I'll take your word for it. The next batch is where I'll get full full on despair. I mean, that's not necessarily what I mean either. So I guess my question is, in fact, what do you two think is going to happen next time? And you too, D, since you have <laughs> no memory of anything, yeah. Um. I'll expect despair, maybe Gendo being more of an asshole. I mean, he did block the calls from his son in this batch. I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure you can get worse. (laughs) He is, in fact, the worst dad. I I about died laughing in the scene in in episode 13 where where they're trying to figure out what's going on without Gendo finding up. And he's just rising up on a platform in the background. (laughs) Like, I heard you were talking shit. He's like all shadowy too. <laughs> He's <laughs> the worst, face. but God, it was funny. Oh gosh, uh, I don't know. Like, I think you know. I, I know I could easily Google this, but even if I do that, I don't think I will get it. But I feel like I have no idea what's gonna happen. I don't even know how this is gonna end. I mean, I look at the series objectively, and I'm just like, okay, I have no idea how you all of you are gonna solve this angel conflict, let alone your personal lives. So. <laughs> My guess is Gendo is going to try and, like, fuse humans with angels to create, like, a superhuman being. Because he has that conversation with the deputy commander where he's like, oh, yeah, human, like, there's no original sin here. And I was like, oh, that's definitely, like, a villain line. And the other guy is like, yeah, I think I prefer humans to be in the world. So that felt like... Oh yeah, maybe uh, Gendo is not just like trying to save humanity, but do like some kind of big creepy supervillain thing with humanity. That seems. Ooh, maybe like destroy it. Ooh. Or yeah, or destroy it not in like a like I want all humans to die, but like he's gonna try and like surpass humanity, and then really like screw things up pretty good. I can believe that because there's a lot of sketchy things happening in this in this batch of episodes so yeah it's just you know whenever you get a villain who's like uh humanity is impure like there is no original sin here in this land that is basically hell it's my home you're like mm, okay so this guy maybe not doesn't have the best interests of humanity in in, in mind I think they're all going to sit down over a pot of tea and talk it out with the angels. Um, What kind of tea? There's a lot of open space in this world. The angels, they can just settle them down in like Siberia or something. Um, They'll have a little angel community and you can go visit them and everything's going to be fine. Uh, Shinji and his dad are going to work things out and his dad's going to realize what a a piece of crap he's been and uh, they'll, they'll 
fix their relationship uh, slowly but surely going forward, and it'll be heartwarming. And <laughs> that's my no. Fascinating. I, I, I may not remember the second half very well, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. So <laughs> I I expect a lot of okay. Maybe, seriously, I do expect a lot of. I notice in this batch, everyone has a lot of issues with their parents. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's gonna co- that's gonna come out in full force in the next batch, maybe. And it's probably gonna make me uncomfortable as hell. But yeah, the the generational tensions are like laced through this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They think we want a steak dinner. Gosh, Misato's so out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just saved the world. I think I deserve more than a damn steak. <laughs> okay, but that was extra wild to read, given that I don't. I don't know about y'all, but the millennials I know are so about free food that it's unreal. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, I take free that. I, all right, I'll take the steak. I mean, at the <laughs> same, you say that, but at the same time, like I know so many people who are just like so into Burger King and like and Taco <laughs> Bell, and I feel like ramen is, you know, like the equivalent of that. So they're like, you know, to me that tracks. They're like, you know what? We don't want steak. We just want to stuff our faces full of this like junk food stuff. I will challenge anyone who likes who likes Taco Bell. How dare you? <laughs> Taco Bell is not. It's I've I've had real tacos growing up. This is not no. Oh no, it has nothing to do with real tacos. <laughs> no, that's not terrible. why. That's not why we like it. <laughs> it looks it's, it looks gross too. I'm like, what is this? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I suppose we're getting on towards an hour. Are there any final thoughts that we didn't touch on today that uh, y'all wanted to get out there into the world? This show has, sorry, I just noticed that I circled the word escalators, so I thought I'd point out that the show has a massive hard-on for escalators, and now that I've said it, you'll never be able to unsee it. (laughs) They're everywhere. I hate escalators. yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know, I think I appreciate, like, they really took the time to do each scene in a way that was so detailed that I don't get to see often in a lot of animes these days, like... You know, like even down, everyone just sitting down having coffee. Like I think one of you pointed out, where she drinks the coffee cold. Like, like you know, I, I appreciate those little scenes that are so, you know, at the end of the day, they don't matter. But I think it just builds the relationships of everybody. Yeah, I think that's one thing we've, uh, back in the day when back in the day, you know, twenty years ago, whatever, when t- when two core was kind of the standard, um, you had more time to insert those just little character moments um and i think that you know the the new model is um a lot of shows tend to just be one core now especially originals um and i think that you do lose some of that some of those little touches like you mentioned um to kind of make the world and the the people in it um feel more more real and fleshed out and like what do they do in their off time kind of stuff so I liked that about this stretch, this stretch of, this stretch of episodes, which really were like, like you said, like monster of the week, like did some, did some world and character building every episode, like nothing was wasted, but it was the kind of thing that you don't get to see a lot of those. We're just going to insert, you know, three, four episodes in a row that will give you a chance to get to know everybody better. Um, and that is their sole, that's their main purpose. Um, I don't think you see that quite as much anymore, which always kind of makes me sad because I like hanging out with, you know the characters I enjoy hanging out with, so. It kind of reminds me of uh, Tiger, like how Tiger and Bunny structured itself, and then I got sad and nostalgic again. (laughs) 
I want to know what Gendo does in his free time. Does he read the newspaper too? I have questions. He broods. He stares at a wall. <laughs> <laughs> just just glares at a wall over the top of his laced fingers. That's it. <laughs> he hasn't moved from that position in 15 years. <laughs> so long. All right. Well, I'd say that brings us to the end of our hour. Thank you so much to the three of you for joining me. Uh, next time we will be watching episodes 14 through 20. Just as a reminder, if you're watching along at home, if you liked this episode, you can find more of it on SoundCloud by looking for uh, Chatty AF, or you can go to our website, animefeminist.com. If you really liked it, you can go to patreon.com slash animefeminist and pitch us a dollar a month. That's what helps pay the bills. And even a dollar can really help towards bringing new content in your ears and on the page. Uh, you can also find us on social media. We are on Tumblr at Anime Feminist. We are on Facebook at Anime Fem. And we are on Twitter at Anime Feminist. All right. Well, until next time, really just... Work on those interpersonal relationships. Take people out for ramen. It helps. <laughs> <laughs>